Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph, and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. It's lovely to be back. This is our first episode of 2024. Um, I hope you are well. I'm going to be really honest. I didn't feel brilliant for a lot of 2023, um, which I think is a common theme talking to other people. I think just juggling work and kids and maybe hormones, some anxiety, not finding enough time to connect with Doug. So we were just shouting logistics at each other a lot, all while going, I'm okay, I think I'm okay. Um, And I've been trying really hard to feel better in 2024. Uh, Just eating well, making effort with nutrition, prioritizing sleep, uh, not working into the evening, taking social media off my phone in the day so my head isn't jumping around so much basically really obvious stuff but I think the way the world is set up it's really easy to be permanently sidetracked as well as juggling family and work and it's not good for anyone so it's definitely helped and sticking with the theme of mental health my guest today is author journalist and mental health campaigner Bryony Gordon Uh, Bryony's latest book and her eighth book is called Mad Woman and it's a very honest account of the last few years Uh, Bryony talks and writes really openly about alcoholism and addiction bulimia and binge eating disorder OCD depression and also perimenopause and being a woman in your 40s and I promise you it's more fun than it sounds it helps that Bryony is a ball of energy and she really works an audience but there's also some things we discussed that are really important I think ultimately it's about connection because all of those things I've just listed can leave us feeling really lonely and thinking that we're the only ones kind of in it Um, I first met Bryony about five or six years ago when I was asked to interview her at Henley Literary Festival and it was my first interview on a stage and it was terrifying but I also loved it and I've been back every year since and it's in part responsible for this podcast because I realised it was something I really enjoyed doing and again I think the idea of connection is a big part of Don't Buy Her Flowers because I had a blog first and was writing about motherhood and relationships and that kind of led into creating a gift company that was all about thoughtfulness and connection and on that if you're looking for gifts for pretty much any occasion the celebrations like birthday and new babies as well as for when someone is having a difficult time please have a look at don'tbuyherflowers.com that's my business and you can put together a bespoke gift we wrap it up all beautifully we handwrite your personal message um, and it's also mother's day coming up on the 10th of march and you can pre-order now and we will deliver it closer to the day 
there you go right this episode was recorded live on a very rainy thursday evening in a big church in henley massive thanks to henley literary festival for letting me share this on our podcast they have this mega two-week festival in october but they also have pop-up events with authors throughout the year and it's a different and really fun way to spend an evening that gets you out the house um okay so here we go here is bryony gordon so I, I, I wrote a book um, about 10 years ago called Mad Girl, which was all about my, OC, uh, like my experiences with OCD and eating disorders. And it really changed my life writing it. It was the first time I'd sort of made sense of it all and it all linking up. And it sort of sent me down this, all, this kind of completely unplanned route of mental health campaigning. And... Um, and it kind of, I mean, it sounds like so hyperbolic to say this, but it like kind of did save my life, you know, like through being immersed in that mental health community and that sort of scene, I started to realise, you know, I realised I was an alcoholic, I got sober. I just, I've, I've had, I've been so lucky, I've been so incredibly lucky to meet fascinating people, to, you know, to get better, to, to get unwell, you know, to be unwell and be able to kind of, recognize that and go through all of that with the kind of support system around me and um yeah I sort of so I sort of a it was I wanted to write it because I, I feel like I'd learned a lot in the intervening 10 years but b I so mad girl was really like about the first 10 10 decades I'm like god I'm not that old <laughs> three decades of my life and this is like really about the last three years so mm. it sort of opens in um uh, Covid. It, it opens, yeah, it opens like New Year's Eve, yeah. 2019, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for a quieter decade. Yeah, this is the one. And the universe went, all right, you want quiet? Um, and uh, not that I think that Covid was like a personal thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> to clarify. But, so, but anyway, but like I, my life felt quite sorted. You know, I, I, I was, you know, I was two and a half years sober. I. You know, we were we were on holiday in Thailand, and it was just everything felt safe. I felt like OCD had the OCD had kind of retreated into the shadows, and and uh, I was like, I'm I'm genuinely kind of fine, and nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> and then I I and then obviously the pandemic happened. I mean, this isn't a spoiler. Um, <laughs> and, and then and then there was a lockdown. I felt like. It was really interesting to me that all the people I knew who'd gone through kind of mental health crisis mm. actually were quite able to cope mm. with with what was happening because they were kind of, it was like I told you the world was going to end you know um, and and that's how I felt I was like oh, I've been you know saying this since I was twelve and um, and then all the people that were like uh, that had never experienced it were um, you know were like freaking out and so I really thought I was fine and then about eight months in I realised I wasn't fine. Mm. I realised I, I was like obsessed with the fact I was sober. I was like, I'm so glad I'm sober. While neglecting to notice that I was, I basically fallen headfirst into like an addiction to food and yeah. binge eating. And that was a real, you know, I, I thought, I couldn't believe, I, I was like, I can't believe I've, there's this other thing that is completely flawed me. And it, and I realised that I'd probably had since I was a child and, it, you know, on and off throughout my life. Yeah, I sort of thought I'd put everything to bed, really. I thought I'd put all those demons, you know, in that sort of parlance of mm. that language. And it sort of all came back and I, I, was, I was very depressed. And then in um, early 2022, 
the OCD came back really badly, like, the f like as bad as it had when I was sort of 12 when I first got it. And it was just all a really, <laughs> it was a really kind of shocking thing, but I came through it and I learned a lot about it and I wanted to put it all in there, you know, mm. because I think the biggest, the most, um, the biggest thing I learned was that a lot of mental, most mental health issues are really appropriate. So like the mad in that is kind of, it's like, I'm, I'm mad, I'm angry. I'm angry because as you know, women, we have to put up with so much mm. and we have to, you know, I, I also think that there's a sort of this notion that, that I, I definitely had this notion that mental illness was like a chemical imbalance. And I realized it's not, I mean, it's a bit slightly that, but it's also like, it's a really appropriate response sometimes. Mm. And it's, it's the kind of, if we stop and we listen to it for long enough, I remember someone saying to me, depression and anxiety are almost the cure in themselves. Like it's your brain telling you Something's not something right. is not right in your life and you're not being true to yourself without getting really woo-woo. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I kind of wanted to explore that a bit. And I really felt that in the pandemic because I was depressed and it was the first time in my life. Because obviously like, the thing about being depressed, I'm sure some of you in this room know about it, and mental illness is that what all mental illnesses have in common is that they work by lying to you, by isolating you, by telling you you're a freak and telling you that no one else is gonna understand what you're going through. Mm. When in reality, not only will someone understand it, someone's probably going through it. Um, and it was the first time I'd had like a mental health crash and looked out and gone, God, everyone else is depressed too. But that, and that was what was really hard in a way, because if you were struggling at any point, and I imagine pretty much everyone here would have a point that they remember where, and it may have been through the whole thing, but, or a point where you go, I, was, I found that hard. So when you then said to people, I'm finding this hard, they'd kind of go, yeah, but everybody was finding it hard. So it, They're like, well, what, you what do you want, a medal? Yeah, yeah, but you didn't have that network. It would network. be weirder if you were like, I'm loving this. Yeah, this is great. But, you, but some people did, but then some usually they would then have a crash. Everyone had a crash at some but point. But also there was that real, I really noticed that, you know, up until that point, there was great gains being made in terms of mental health campaigning mm. and the parity between mental health and physical health. And it, it just went, it rolled straight back. Mm. Because, and, and, and you know, and partly, I totally understand why that was. There was a physical illness that was wreaking havoc on the world and killing millions, you know, it was awful. Yeah. And, you know, Michael Rosen, who was on earlier, you know, he experienced it, just, it was terrible. And the, um, and so it felt kind of, you know, we all went into that thing of like, well, I've got my physical health. Yeah. You know. When you felt really that in the book, the, the beginning part of the book is that you felt really guilty. So you almost were pushing down the feelings you were feeling because you you were like, oh, but I'm, but I've got my health, or oh, but I'm okay because I'm not in that place, or you yeah. Know. yeah. I think that was. I think a lot because there was also wasn't there was a lot of judgment, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah. Was a lot of yeah. like. Oh, someone's, you know, that neighbour's gone out for two walks today. Yeah. <laughs> or, and I'd go on, like, Twitter. I've stopped doing that because, obviously, that's not... That's just stupid. Yeah. But, like, I'd go on Twitter and people were like, oh, I can't... But they'd, like, take a picture of a woman they'd seen sunbathing on the grass and they were like, how oh, this woman is the reason I can't hug my granny. Yeah. I was like, she's just... There was a like, lot of blame. And I sit on benches. Do you remember that? Yeah. It's all, it is still a very strange... When Did you, it happen? Yeah. <laughs> There's that bit where we were allowed out once a day, except on Thursdays when they let us out twice <laughs> to clap. <laughs> it's 
very, very, very strange. Um, but you dreamy, but, but not dreamy. I mean, yeah, the whole thing. I think it will take decades to untangle the effects it's had on people. Yeah, yeah, because you still feel a bit fun. Like still, even this, it's still like, oh, if we get to go out, it still feels like a novelty, and it's been quite a while. I love it. Yeah, it's. But you I also, love it, but I also at first, I don't know. You I like being in bed at half past eight. I do love it. I will get into bed at half in about. Someone's going to bring on a duvet. <laughs> don't worry, it's fine. She just needs to be in bed. Um, but I realised that bit of me, I don't know if any of this resonates with anyone else, but when that lockdown was announced, I was kind of relieved because it meant I could like get off the hamster, hamster wheel, wheel of yeah. life, you know? Mm. And it was like, I don't have to go and have this meeting in town or I don't have to get on public transport I don't have to do life I don't have to get the kids to school I don't have to have those conversations at the school gates all those things that you thought drove you mad and I realized actually there was a moment where I went oh no those are actually the anchors in your day mm. and you do all those little things you don't want to and at the end of the day you go oh, I'm a legend yeah <laughs> you know but it's that yeah. thing of pushing yourself to do things you don't want to do that we all have to do, you know, I'm not saying that. And you take all of those out and it's like the, the little bank of wellness starts to kind of... Well, it's the connect you've, I think you've said that connection is the opposite of addiction. Yeah, I mean, I can't take credit for that. I think that was someone really wise in like AA well, or something. I think you said it well. Uh, but I'll take, yes, I said connection is the opposite <laughs> of addiction. But you, but you write in the book about like getting to a point where, where before you realised that you weren't, you were unwell, you were kind of retreating from communication with people. Yeah, and so massively. people were saying, oh, do you want to do this or go for that walk or meet on a nearby park bench or whatever it was. And you were like just ignoring it. I didn't or... want to see anyone. No. I didn't want to see anyone. And I didn't want to met, and I didn't, you know, and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have another conversation about Boris Johnson mm. or whoever, you know, Matt Hancock's sex life or... <laughs> Oh, God, can we stop talking about this? But is it, yeah. No, now, let's move on. Let's move on. It's 2024. We've moved on. on. No, but, no, but is that, that, sorry, I didn't mean that. That was like really like, can we just stop no, talking no, no. about this stuff? But what, but what I was going to say is, is that for you a symptom? Yes, retreating. Yeah. Retreating. So you, but do you, is, do you recognise that? Or can you, are you I getting do, better at recognising that? I do recognise it, but it's, it's hard, isn't it? And I think that's also what this book is about. It's going, even when we know all of this, you know, and we're intelligent people and we know what the, you know, one of the biggest symptoms of depression is forget, forgetfulness, but I'm like, is it forgetting the symptoms of depression? Because, you know, like every time, and it took me ages, like I didn't think I was depressed, I just thought I was being a dickhead. And I was like, oh, no one wants to hear anything anymore about your mental health, Bryony. You've, you've done that now. You've written 85 books about it and, it was like, and I was really, I was like gaslighting myself. Yeah. And I was like, no one wants to hear about it. And I remember a friend saying to me, it's like, well, they were like, depression isn't like mobile data. Like you don't, use it's not like a cap and then you used it all up and then you can't be depressed ever again. And I was like, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, that's what's happening. But, um, but do you feel that? Because especially thinking about different generations and how they respond to conversations about mental health, like, <clears throat> do you feel that? Oh, I'm, I, I feel like I shouldn't be. I've, I've done enough now. But then, how do you then bring yourself to go? I've, I've got more in me. I've got well, another book I to haven't, write. I haven't done enough because also, okay. So here's the thing. I feel like for some reason, I don't really know what it is, but for some reason, I am not. I don't feel ashamed to write about this stuff. Mm. In fact, it helps me. It's mm. like 
shame dies when you expose it to the light. And I think that's probably an element of the reassurance seeking that you have when you are when you have obsessive compulsive disorder and it's lots of different things but for whatever reason I don't get anxious about what you're going to think about what's in the book I'm not anxious I don't care if you think it's disgusting that I binge ate chorizo at two in the morning or raw sausages like I I've had messages going this is disgusting how could you write this and I'm like well because it happened I don't, the things that I get anxious about are like, will you like me? Am I annoying you right now? Do you want to get up and walk out? You know, that's the kind of like, will you bite? Will you enjoy this book? Will, like, it's a different, it's like almost a validation thing. Anyway, yeah. so for whatever reason, putting this stuff out there, I find quite natural to do. And it helps me a great deal. So, like, today I did this event at lunchtime in Westminster and I was just, it was like, I got to talk to all these people that and they were like, it was all in the finance industry and there was this 60 year old man who came up to me and started sobbing and he mm. started telling me about his son who had killed himself last October and he hadn't been able to tell any of his colleagues about what, what, how, what had happened to his son and he started telling them and he and he told me his son's name, and I've got it written on my hand, Joe. And I was, going, I was like, I'll take Joe with me tonight to the thing. And I was like, that's why I do what I do, because this stuff does kill people. And it's nearly killed me, you know, and it, and it hurts people, and people live in shame. And so when I think, and then I think to myself, like, it nearly finishes me off again. It nearly finished me off again, and for some reason it didn't. And I'm like, so I just, I'll write that book. And if you read it and you like it, fine. You know, if it helps you, great. But that's like, it just feels like a bit of a, like, it's like doing service. Like in 12-step yeah. fellowships, we talk about doing service and getting out of your head to help other people. And so, and it helps me as well. So, I think yeah. that's so important because all the things that you talk about, but when you shine a light on the, the shame that you, exactly as you say, like the, all, with all the addictions, with the, people don't, binge eating, for example, mm. and bulimia, people don't talk about that very often, or they talk about it once they're recovered, but they don't probably talk about the nitty gritty of what happened. And actually <coughs> writing about that and someone reading that, that's, that, that makes them feel like, oh, that, I'm not on my own. Mm. All of those things, and just think we bumped into somebody in the ladies earlier who said something really special that, that, that you'd helped with their daughter. And that's why, right? Because there's still not enough people talking about it. So although it might make people feel uncomfortable, I guess is what it is, previous generations, but actually that's more about them, isn't it? That's more well, about... Also, I think there's this thing of like, it's really interesting what you just said about people write about things when they're through it. And I certainly don't, you know, I wouldn't have written that book while I was like in the depths of it. Yeah. But I do think we, you know, we like neat narratives, yes, don't we? Yeah. That, you know, a nice beginning, a middle and an end. And life obviously isn't actually like that. Well, your books, <laughs> you haven't gone, I'm fixed now. Yeah, and then yeah. it's over. And I think I've never, I've never like, want, I've never finished a book. I've never like ended a book with, and then I lived happily, you know, ever after. It's always, I always, when I finish a book, I always deliberately leave them sort of quite open-ended. Mm. I mean, Mad Girl, the last chapter of Mad Girl was, was me in a terrible depression again setting up mental health mates you know and I and and so yeah and I think there's something about like saying well actually you know there isn't you know we don't all get to live happily ever after but 
and that's okay. And in fact, maybe that notion of happily ever after is what's making a lot of us quite sad and depressed in the first place, mm. you know? And so I think, you know, life is messy. It is just inherently messy. And so I have ups, I have downs, and I'm like, oh, and that just shows it. And I don't think I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've heard someone say to me, but how can we like believe what you write? Because you've now got something else wrong with you. And I was like, well, it's not, it's like, it's, that's not, like I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like making up that I was an alcoholic and I had to go to rehab. And, but it's, I'm, not, I'm certainly not the first person to get sober and like cross addict to other stuff. Like that's the most common well, thing in the it's, world. It's pretty human as well, yeah. right? So I just am like, oh, well, if like, I'm happy to show my mess if it helps people to make sense of their mess. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it does. Um, you also write about perimenopause mm. and the symptoms of that and what that was like. Do you want to just describe that? Because I think, again... <laughs> Everyone's like, we don't want to hear. Well, but I think, again, it's, it's a conversation that is probably the, one of the most frequent with me and my friends. And it's like trying to make sense of it and trying not to, because I think, again, it's not like, oh, well, everyone's just talking about it. it's become a trendy thing. It's like... No, but I... Okay, so when I got... When the, o the OCD came back really badly mm. and I became convinced, like, I couldn't drink water because I was scared there was alcohol in it. And I was like, no, I, I'm going to relapse. It was like, it was like a real... It was like, it was really weird. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and anyway, and a friend said to me, Do you, have you thought that maybe you're perimenopausal? And I went, oh, fuck off. <laughs> Everyone's like, perimenopausal. Everyone's perimenopausal. Like, wouldn't it be nice if my like, problems could be solved by some trend? And she went, I beg your pardon? <laughs> she was like, did you just hear what you just said? And I was like, what? And she was like, a trend. She's like, it's not a trend. It's not trendy to go through menopause. It's just what happens to 51% of the population. And it's just not been talked about. No. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a terrible human being. Anyway, <laughs> I feel you back. My, I think my mum is here somewhere. She's like, no, I'm hiding. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and, so, and she said, well, ask your mum when, you when she went through menopause. And I called her and I was like, when did she go through menopause, mum? And she was like, I never went through menopause. <laughs> and I was like, what? Are you still having periods in your cell? I'm not that old. And like put the phone down. <laughs> and then she called me back and, and, and she was like, oh, maybe some of us might have gone through menopause early in our early 40s. Now, it was like the tone was very much like, now let's never speak of this again. Yeah. It's like, oh, thanks. So anyway, um, I had my um, bloods done, like my hormonal things, and it turned out, like, the doctor didn't actually say this, but this is what I think he wanted to say, was that, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson had higher levels of estrogen than I did. <laughs> He was like, Jason Statham has better estrogen has better levels than you do, babes. Uh, and they, so they said, <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, there is a chapter in the book that's, there's a chapter called Dwayne the Rock Johnson and a chapter called Davina McCall, just because. Menopause. Just, just because menopause. Yeah. And um, they said, well, try some HRT. And I said, oh, I don't want to try HRT because I've heard it like gives you cancer. And they said to me, well, you've just told me you smoke. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I just wish you'd stop telling me to, are you telling me to, I've now got to give up smoking too. Smoking and coffee. I was like, all the fun things. Yeah. 
first you made me give up cocaine, then you made me give up alcohol. He was like, well, you all right? <laughs> so anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, okay. So the rock has better estrogen levels than I do. So there I was. And, and they, anyway, so eventually they said, you don't have, like HRT is, you know, it's safe. And those trials that we still are lodged in our memory were yeah. done on women in their 70s. Yeah. And, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, misinformation. And they put me, so they just tiny amount of HRT. And about three days, later, about three days later, I woke up and I was like, I was like, you know, Disney movies where the, like the princess wakes mm. like come in the window and she's like, la 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 la. Oh, that was quite impressive. <laughs> Great acoustics. <laughs> uh, and that was, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm just. Life is amazing. <laughs> my husband was like, are you okay? But were you like, I found the cure. This no, is no, it. No, because it didn't occur to me. And I was like, God, life's great. And I was like, oh, I was dancing with some Taylor Swift. And I didn't want to go for a run. And I didn't want to go for a run for ages. And then it, it was about 11.30. And I was like, I haven't had a dark, intrusive thought today yet. And I was like, what? What have I done differently? And it generally took me a while <laughs> to work out that I'd started taking HRT like three days earlier. Right. But so then, um, obviously, I couldn't just, it couldn't just be easy and like smooth, plain sailing. So then, then you have to take progesterone mm -hmm. if you've got a wound. So I started taking the progesterone. And then about two days later, I was suicidal. Yeah. Like su suicidal. Like it was... It was like the, 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 the Hades underground bit of, of Disney movie with the witch. Yeah. It was like that. And um, uh, long we, I'm not going to go into all the ways we tried to get progesterone into my body, but long story short, it was like uh, it, some, they, they told me about progesterone intolerance and how one in 20 women are like allergic to progesterone. And... But we don't know this. No, and this is the point. So I'd gone on the pill when I was like 21, and I had been, it, had, it was, I felt suicidal, so I came off it almost immediately. Mm. But I never kind of, I didn't really think of anything of it again. And um, yeah, and then they sort of started asking questions like, how, how was your mental health when you were pregnant? I said, well, how long have you got? <laughs> you know, I was under like a, the care of the psychiatric team at St. Thomas's mm. when I was pregnant. And, um, and I, uh, I remember when I had my daughter, I remember it was like something just lifted off my shoulders. Mm. I felt fine. I remember they came to see me because they obviously had to see you before they signed you out. And they were like, this is like a transformation. And anyway, the, the doctor later explained to me, like, obviously, while well, you're pregnant, the progesterone is building and building and building and building and building. And then, of course, you give birth and it sort of... Comes out. Comes out. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, so the thing is, and then they start talking to me about PMDD. And I was like, what are you talking about? What's these other letters I've got? Other things? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I just, I, I, I started to put two and two together and come up with four or, you know, who knows? You know, like, I, I first experienced OCD when I was about 12, you know, which was about when my cycle began. And I... I don't, I think there's a real temptation in life to kind of try ex to explain away problems with simple things and mm -hmm. go, well, it's just my hormones then. And I don't, I don't think it is just my hormone, mm -hmm. just my hormones. I think that I probably have a propensity towards 
mental health issues, but I know for a fact that hormones make it a hell of a lot harder or easier to deal with those issues. Yeah. So, so I had, so it was like the difference between uh, like standing naked in a field with a massive storm whirling around you and then taking the HRT was like, um, like you had a house around you and you know, there mm. was, it was a sunny day. And but there's so much information. And so for most people, it's too much information. It's like, bewildering, but the whole thing on Instagram, you know, like it's, you know, it's not just, it's all the kind of health talk. I was thinking this week, I was, you know, I was looking at it and, you know, the disordered eating patterns we have, mm. which, you know, that was the other thing I wanted to explore in, in, this, in this book is like, I, I, I find it a wonder that I've ever actually like had any normal periods of eating in my life because, you know, again, it was like getting to, getting to the age of 40 or whatever and learning that it was okay to eat carbohydrates. And yeah. In fact, it was quite important to, and, you know, all the stuff about fasting. And I think, you know, diet culture has become such a sort of, it's so entrenched. And I think, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about obesity and and I, I think that obesity is, is like a much a mental illness as it is a physical illness yeah. I think for a lot of people you know I think I've had a lot of people get in touch with me and say I have binge eating disorder I think and I just really want to lose the weight and I'm like it's not about like it's if you're doing weight. this to lose the weight you're never going to get better from the binge eating it's 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 not about like because it's an addiction, right? Well, it's also, it's like a way, it's a coping mechanism. Like, food is like a drug. Yeah. You know? It's, as, and it is as powerful as, as, as many drugs, you know? And, and so, you know, it's a kind of thing to kind of quieten things and numb things. And so, you know, I think you have to explore why you do it. And it's, yeah. So I, I just, why have I gotten to this? Oh, yes. So I was on social media the other day. Um, another very bad thing for your mental health. <laughs> and there was um, there was someone saying, I don't, I don't, she was like a real, and she was like, I don't count calories anymore. I eat for my gut health. Gut health is like the phrase now, isn't mm, it? That, mm. that lots of eating disorders sort of hide behind. Oh, gut health, right? And this woman was like, this is what I eat in a day. And I watched this video and I was like, <laughs> well, you don't have to count calories because there's no fucking calories there. <laughs> I don't like... And then, but, and it, but it's dangerous as well, right? Yeah. So all, all of these things, like the, the, the patches you can get that do, and measuring your glucose oh, and your fasting. blood sugar spikes. It's, it's so... But, your blood sugar is supposed to spike if you have a donut, isn't right. it? But, <laughs> but if I mean, that's the If thing. you've had an eating disorder... To, to try and make sense of that, it's so dangerous, basically. And yeah, I think, I think obviously lots of it has like a good, I think there are really good people, like, you know, I think- Well, if you've got a really normal, healthy relationship with food, you can probably do all those things, but most people don't. No, most people don't understand. And so I'm doing this like cray cray, talking of normal, healthy relationships with things. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brian, what are you doing now? I'm doing this, this, this challenge um, in April where I'm gonna run the Brighton Marathon, and then when I've run the Brighton Marathon, I'm going to run over two weeks from Brighton to London. Trains are a nightmare. And then, and then when I get to London, am I going to put my feet up, do you think? No. No, I'm going to do the London Marathon. And I'm going to do this to raise money for mental health mates, but also to show how the exercise is for everyone. And it's not about the way you look, it's about the way you make it, it makes you feel, mm -hmm. you know. And it's been transformational for my mental health. But anyway, as part of this, 
I honestly, I feel like an Olympian. The, 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 I mean, I am an Olympian, obviously. But London Marathon events have given me this like team. We've got this WhatsApp group. And they're like, hey, Brian, you're just checking in. How are your splits? Hey, how your strength training going? Hey, and I'm like, oh. And I've got a nutritionist. And she's the nutritionist for uh, Team GB's hockey, women's hockey team, right? And, and she, so she's fueling me because I have to run. So like this weekend, I've got to run 17 miles. And the next day, I've got to run five miles. And I basically, this is a lovely rest sitting up here right now. <laughs> and, um, and she was so she's like you have to eat this amount of carbohydrates so right. i have i think i have to eat on like a, before a long run i have to eat something like four of those sachets of porridge i mean it's a lot of fucking porridge <laughs> also porridge oh. you know and she's like that might keep you going till about halfway through the run and then you've got to start anyway but it's it's so fascinating yeah. because it's sort of it's eating to look after yourself mm. you know and to nourish yourself as opposed to like get smaller or whatever and um i just think to myself it's nuts that at the age of 43 i'm learning how to feed myself yeah, yeah. okay we know that lots of listeners to this podcast have found that menopause treatment is trial and error and moxie coach believe that every woman has the right to be armed with the knowledge of what to expect and what's happening in their body MoxieCoach is an app that predicts menopausal symptoms to give support and guidance using the most up-to-date research into symptoms and treatment to help women prepare for and manage menopause symptoms. You can sign up now to be part of their inaugural community by visiting the MoxieCoach website, moxiecoach.org. That's M-O-X-I-E coach.org and join hundreds of women to help improve the future of menopause treatment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But we grew up at the same time, so 80s and 90s, yeah. cabbage soup diets, and that you watch people go, you know, your family members go on, and not because they were awful people, but just because that's what well, everyone Actually, my family members did it because they were awful people. <laughs> <laughs> saying that because I know they're I in the know, room. It's fine. Um, but also Jane, well, you're writing the book Jane Fonda. I was like, oh yeah, all Go in your living room. Doing, with Jane Fonda, who looked incredible, still looks incredible, in like a really high cut lycra thing. And you're all there with your family doing like the big, she used to do the big wheel, little wheel. Like, I suppose she was like I think a... she probably didn't eat as well. I mean, it's not, I don't think it was just doing that in yeah, your living and room. And now we've just got Joe Wicks. Yeah. But it's a but it's a really weird. I like Joe Wicks. Don't get me wrong. So, so we've just got Joe Wicks. She, he's not Jane Fonda, is he? No, no, no. I don't know what he looked like in a jumpsuit. But the and the, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but the um, the validation piece that comes in with that as well about how you how we were trying to shrink ourselves to look a certain way and what other people how other people saw you. And you write about, a bit about that in the book. Well, you write about validation and realising how dangerous it is, but mm. how even when you're doing good stuff, then am I doing this for the right reason or is it because of the validation? That's a really tricky thing to manage, I imagine. I do think it is, but I also think, like, I have to be quite careful. So, like, with a book coming out, I have to be quite careful that I don't go, well, if this book doesn't sell this many copies, then you're just a fucking failure, Brian. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I have, so I have to be careful in that way. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't, you know, and I suppose in that way we use metrics, don't we, to judge our work and to judge our, you know, I have to accept that I'm still a valid human being. <laughs> if, yeah. um, but I also think it's really important to, and this is another thing that I feel is like that I really wanted to get at in the book, is that it's okay to want validation and to be needy of things, you know, and I, I suppose for me it's like, I spent a lot of my life, like a lot of women, you know, wanting to be a good girl. I'm mm. like, I need to be a good girl. I need to be a good girl. And and try and for me, obsessive compulsive disorder was a way of trying to prove that I wasn't bad. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. It was like a safety thing that my brain created to try and keep me in a very narrow thing to make sure that I wasn't bad. I wasn't mm. bad. And you know, one of the like really revelatory things in the last few years has been to accept that actually I am bad sometimes. I am bad and that is okay. You don't only have kind thoughts. No, yeah. and I think that like psychotherapists call it like doing the shadow work, you know, but it's like integrating those bits as opposed to trying to push them away. Mm -hmm. so, so, so my therapist, I went, to, I went to see him yesterday. I see him like twice a month. And he, and I was like, I just, this time, I just want to, I just, I was like, this book's coming out and I just want to enjoy it. Like, I don't want to stress about the kind of, you know, I just really want to enjoy the process. And he looked at me and he said, but you're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said, no, I will enjoy it. And he said, like, you are going to stress. So why mm. don't you just accept that you're going to stress and just allow it? Actually, on that point, I have to say, I am, I feel it, it's like, 
it's so amazing, can I just say, sorry, I feel a bit emotional, like, to be sitting up here and to have, with you all here, is, it's, this is the first book event I've done for Mad Woman, and it's the first book event I've done properly for, like, four years. I did one in 2022, um, and I was really unwell mm. when I did it, and I don't know how I got up on that stage. Um, but there have literally been times in the last... Th like few years where I'm like sitting there I'm like my career is over I'm useless everyone hates me like very normal perimenopausal thoughts you know and it's so and I realize that a lot of what I thrive on is the connection you know it's like it's being in a room and hearing you and seeing I can't actually see you. I wish no, I could it's see very you. bright it's like um and it's the connecting with people is like why I do what I do so mm. for me it's like it's not just validation it's like 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 we are each other's people right mm. yeah 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 come on <laughs> and um and i think it's really important to come together and like celebrate that yeah so i'm very thank you everyone for coming it really means a lot we love you Brian. oh Aww. my god thanks mom <laughs> <laughs> not my mum. What's your name? Andre. Andre, I love you. We love you, Andre. Don't see we, everyone? Every, after three, one, two, three. We love you, Andre. <laughs> but, um, oh, one we should just do that for everyone. Please, we'll go around everyone. <laughs> We don't have time for that, Bryony. No, we've still got 20 minutes. You, um, we are going to come to questions in about five minutes, so definitely think if about you want, things. If you want to ask a question, or if you just want me to say I love you, that's fine as well. But the, you also write about um, people-pleasing, and that even when you're feeling really quite shit, and even like you just said, you, had, you went up on stage and you, and you power through, and it's like presenting as fine, mm. fine, fine, <laughs> when actually all you did... You did, you ran 10 lots of 10K in the midst but, of this. But the thing is, can I just say, when I got up on that stage and I was really unwell, I did stand up on that stage and say to everyone, guys, I'm fucked. <laughs> I don't know how I'm standing up here. And everyone was like, okay. When then no one quite knows, it's like, is, is she? No, no, but I was really like, I didn't know I was going to get there. And, and like, I think the, the, the theatre company who like put that on were like, we're never working with her again. Because <laughs> um, I didn't think I was going to get there. I was like, so, in such a bad way. But I did. But also the 10, 10 Ks I ran, I like, I really enjoyed that. Mm. Like, I love that stuff. Mm. I love that and those nuts challenges and... You know, so it's like, also I think this is the thing, we have this notion of mental illness as someone rocking back and forth yeah, in a padded only, cell. only down. Which is, which is what it, it, ca it is at times, yeah. right? But it is not, like, I bet you there are people in this room right now who are going through some shit yeah. or having a really tough time, yeah. you know? And I'm just sorry about that. And there, there might be people who bought tickets for this tonight and haven't come because yeah. they're struggling. Like, I got a couple of messages from people saying, I wanted to come, but I just can't. And yeah. I was like, come, I'll give you a hug. I'll people please you. <laughs> um, but no, but you know, like, so, uh, you know, sometimes, it, like, I, I often think life is like, every morning you wake up and you think, how many masks am I gonna have to put on today to get through what I have to do today? You know, and that's okay. And I think it's really important to know that and I think that's what I'm trying to do is like, it's not binary. Mm. It's not like, 
I have that notion of like, I was really unwell then, but now I'm really well, and I will be well for the rest of my life. Like, well, that would be lovely. I was going to touch wood, but that's very obsessive compulsive. And, you know, um, and it's, but it's like every, you just take each day as it comes. Yeah. Which is, and what you write about as well, the, the point of it is that it is a part of all of it is that there will be ups, there will be downs, there will be really difficult bits. There'll be the days where you're like, hang on, I feel well and good. And I'm so obsessed with happy that it makes us cripplingly sad because we think that any other emotion is yeah. like some sort of failure mm. and it's not. And day to day, it's not going to, but you're going to get annoyed with him for leaving his shoes in the stupid place or. Who's got, him? Well, if you live with a man and they do. <laughs> Shower the goblin king. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But you know, like there, there's, there's always going to be I things. Like, that How are do you know be... my husband yeah, so well? Because well, they're, they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> the Indutute is not like the big boys of the experience gift world. Indutute experiences are all hand-picked, good value, and tried and tested by another female founder, Calypso Rose. Experiences are perfect for people that will enjoy getting out and trying something different, from glamping on a beautiful vineyard to foraging local oysters, or afternoon cheese on a barge, how good does that sound? Finding that perfect gift experience and promising that time to spend with someone you care about is really rather special. Check out their fun website, indytute.com, that's I-N-D-Y-T-U-T-E.com. Their novel ideas include experiences for couples as well as a category called Extraordinary Experiences. And use the code STEF10 for 10% off. It's not going to be all roses and musicals. No, no, I wish it was. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great Hamilton. if it was all roses and musicals and Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yeah. Um, but Can I just say, this is what I heard someone say the other day, is like, life is roses and thorns and people like you, Briny, just don't, they can't accept the thorns. <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> It's kind of true. <laughs> but and during that, the period... I take the thorns really personally. I'm like, they're out to get me. No one else has got any thorns. Why but, you definitely I'm just, have. And there's also flies on my roses, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, you did also, I've got to have to mention Prince Harry, because you also, during part of this, you've flown over to somewhere in America to interview Prince Harry. Montecito. About, about his book. Yes. How was that? <laughs> I feel like I have to was, ask. Someone asked me this today, they were like, you know, did you feel like you could talk to him about what you were going through? And I was like, he kind of had other stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't really there to talk about me. No. <laughs> Imagine we got all that way and I so Harry. I was like, who the thing is? <laughs> and then I get back, I get back to my hotel room and the officer like, what did he say? And I was like, he gave me some really good advice about HRT. Yeah, he was very kind. Was, what? What lines are there? No, he, he, he was very kind. No, we did, you know, we, we, I spent time there. It's a nice house. I've got a nice house. There's a teepee in the garden, and I said, could I live there? And he panicked and no, he locked panic. the door. No, he didn't, like, he's, he's uh, I, you know, I have, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. I'm very fond of him. Yeah. And yeah. her as well. But it, no, it was more that I... It also... No, it was mad, and I was like, I was like, I, I do remember... So this is so. Basically, I'd signed this NDA. So uh, and they'd sent me this book. This book, like you may have heard of it, it's called Spare, and it sold a trillion copies. And um, anyway, but they. Uh, so I found out I was going to do the interview on I think it was like the third of January, and I thought it would just be on Zoom. And on the fourth, they were like, "Oh no, come to LA." 
can you come tomorrow? And I was like, sure, I can come tomorrow. I mean, this was like, and I remember they sent me a PDF of the book, but I had to sign this NDA that was like, if, if you let anyone see this book, we will kill you <laughs> and your family and everyone who comes to see you at the Henley Literary Festival. <laughs> <laughs> that was really menacing. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh. So I was on the plane. It was really exciting. I saw Wayne Rooney at the airport. That was really exciting. He was ahead of me in check-in. Anyway, this is not part of the story. Um, and I was on the plane, and I was, like, taking my laptop with me to the loo because I was like, someone might read it. Yeah. And I was reading it going, oh, my God. And then as, as soon as I landed, I got to the airport, fell asleep, and I was woken up an hour later by the Telegraph news desk calling me. <laughs> they were like, the book's leaked, Bryony. You need to give us your copy. I was like, I can't give you a copy. That'll kill me. And it was just the most stressful, stressful day. Um, and I, uh, I don't really know why I'm telling you this story. But I you were, you be were telling you this story. And um, and but then it was all fine. It was all fine. <laughs> and then no, then and then the, like then his people were like, oh, there's mudslides in Montecito. So we might not be able to do the interview. I was like, oh, I'm sitting here in this hotel in West Hollywood, and I think I'm going mad. Um, it happened, and it was it was lovely, and I spent a nice day there with them. It's cool though. It's the the, the range of things going on in that year. This is why it's mad woman. Um, I think it's time to open up to some questions. So I don't know. I'm guessing there's oh oh lights. Oh lights. Lights. Ah. Look it's how beautiful they are. <laughs> I'm glad I couldn't see them because I would have been quite intimidated. Yeah, it's quite a lot of people. Um, right, does anyone oh, have the, a question? Of course, the man has here the first go. question. Hang on, there's a, there is a mic. If you just hold there's on There's one the man mic. here. There's one here. <laughs> there's a lot of women, isn't there? Hi, Brian. Lovely to see you again. I've come to all your Henley events. So oh, I'm a, a veteran of that. Um, you mentioned that you're two and a half years sober, I think is what you said. Mm. Uh, I'm 21 days sober, so I'm oh, just well starting done. on my journey. So. <laughs> uh, on, on your, uh, uh, I'm just interested in your relationship with alcohol throughout the journey from where I am now to where you are now, and, and what impact it had on your wider life. Um, so I, I'm now, this year I'll be seven years sober, which is pretty mind-blowing. It's the best thing I ever did. It's really hard, but it's not as hard as the alternative. I don't know why you've stopped drinking, but um, I think you're amazing for like being able to say that out loud. And um, it's, like, it's how life is supposed to be lived in kind of glorious technicolour. And sometimes the colour is like, that is a bit too blinding can you turn that can I just can I do something to turn that down you know with me it was raw sausages you know but um it's worth it and I think it's a really it's 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 they call it they talk about like the layers of the onion coming off you know um so I love being sober I hate it sometimes but I don't hate it as much as I hated life drinking Thank you. We've got another question. <clears throat> here we go, one at the front. questions here. It's absolutely brilliant to see you and 
hear what you're saying. And I was just thinking about sobriety and then um, realizing, of course, it's very difficult when you when food is what we have to have every day. Yeah. Um, so you can't give it up. Um, and then, so I see that's problematic. Um, and um, I'm going to own my weirdness around food myself. And it comes and goes. And, uh, and I just think, well, eating is okay, but it's, um, it's, what did you say about connection when it was... It's the opposite of addiction. Yeah, so if you're just with other people, I can behave quite normally. Mm. <laughs> it's just on my own. Mm. And it must be like that with alcohol. But it's so much more difficult with food. Yeah, what I'm saying is how, how on earth do um, we get a handle on that? Firstly, thank you so much for your honesty and I love your cardigan. Um, and yes, you're absolutely right. So there's a staying of that. So, you know, I, we don't need to, I don't need to drink alcohol or take cocaine to stay alive, felt like it sometimes. But um, so, you know, you abstain and it's like, whereas food, obviously you have to eat. It's, there's a saying, I think, that it's like dealing with eating disorders and dealing with disordered eating, you know, um, is like taking a tiger out for a walk three times a day, you know? And I think that's true. And I, and I, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it's also, you know, I think we forget how powerful food is. You know, food is used as a, you know, as a weapon of war. You know, we, we see that right now, you know. Um, and it's also, it's the first way children learn that they can have power over their parent, mm -hmm. their family, you know. They throw the food on the floor or they, you know, they refuse to eat it. So it's incredibly, there's a, you know, it's very visceral. And so it's really hard and I don't get it perfect. You know, I, it's not for me as well. It's not like I don't treat food sobriety in the way I do alcohol sobriety because you know like I I probably you know slip or whatever more obviously I haven't had a drink for seven years but I you know when I was writing this book last year I definitely went into I was writing it at the same time as um, having our house renovated so we had no kitchen which I can't recommend at all and it, I went, it was like method acting, I imagine. I went back into it. It was a couple of months where I was like, this is happening again, do you know what I mean? And it's a sort of, so it's a really hard thing, but I think it's really important to talk about it mm. because there's so much shame attached to it and there just shouldn't be because we all have to eat and we all have, and I, I imagine most people in this room have some sort of weird stuff with food yeah. and body image. You know, and I just think that's, I just, I just. So, you, there's something I was listening to you um, in another interview, and you were saying about what a waste it is. It's such and a I waste. And I think that's of what it lives. feels like, isn't it? I think it's like, or you, you, or you talk about people that you've known and loved, and who, like, we talk about Deborah James. Yeah. And you're like, what someone would give to live. Yeah. And then and we're doing this weird shame, thing. And that's not to shame us no. for having those feelings. No. But like, yeah, my life is so so precious mm. you know and we are i often do this this miracle thing and excuse me if you've heard it before but the chances of any of us are existing are like one in 10 trillion billion billion so like so I'm, my mum is here so this is really embarrassing but when her and my father <laughs> got it on in 1979 sorry mum hi <laughs> uh, 
if my dad had said something really annoying to her, which he did, because they got divorced when I was 21, <laughs> all the time. So like, and, and they, he, like, or the, the doorbell had gone or something, like, and they hadn't done the act, like, I mean, sex, they'd not had sex. I'm, I, you know, you're like, yes, I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> we all know, we all know what you're talking about, like, your poor mum. <laughs> like, I, I may not exist, guys, and that would be really sad, wouldn't it? Okay, so like, so, so, and the same with your parents, right? And then when, so, so, uh, it's a biology lesson, when the man ejaculates into the woman, <laughs> still going. Millions of sperm are released, and because we don't want any old sperm, the body releases acid to kill the weak sperm. Die, die. All those versions of you fucked off, right? Killed by the acid. And then the sperm has to do like an uphill Iron Man, an Iron Man to get to the, what are they called? Oh, terrible biology teacher. <laughs> Fallopian tubes over the whatevers the ovaries, the bits <laughs> with the eggs. If there's an egg there, half of them go, shall I go that way? Shall I go that way? Half of them go the wrong way. Ah, ah. All those versions of you, gone, right? And then they see the egg. Oh, we're nearly there, lads, we're nearly there. And um, they get to the egg, and the egg is surrounded by white blood cells that act like nightclub bouncers that are like, you ain't coming in, okay? So one manages to fertilize it, it's like, ah. and then as we know, not all fertilized embryos go the distance, you know, we know this. And then, so you manage to make it to the day you're born, which lots of doctors say is the most dangerous day of your life. And then every day you've managed to stay alive to here, to come and sit here and listen to me try and teach you biology <laughs> in this church. You are all miracles. <laughs> Absolute miracles. So please don't waste a bloody moment more. I keep conscious of swearing because we're in a church. Oh, yeah, so I, don't, I didn't I don't even want think to of that. On fire. But um, <laughs> the, 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 wait, no, let's not waste a moment more going, oh, my, what do they think of my arms? <laughs> I think we've got time for one very quick question. There's someone over there. Hi, thank you. Um, it's lovely to be here tonight, and we're all obviously uh, mainly women. Um, and I think the overarching word that is sort of being used here is, is the word shame. Um, but my question to you is, how have you dealt with this um, with your partner? Because I think women are naturally curious and we sort of dive into like, what is this about? What's happening to our body? But it's a shameful thing to have to talk to your partner about because perhaps you think, you know, they might think I'm old or, you know, I'm going through all these things and they just can't physically relate. Mm. So how have you dealt with that in, in terms of your marriage or <laughs> your relationship or trying to, you know, if you don't speak, again, shamefully to a girlfriend or... Yeah, yeah. well, I don't, it's so difficult because my, 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 my husband only knows me, like, just bleh. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 I feel... He's like, would you stop talking about your bloody feelings? Because <laughs> um, you just keep a little bit of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> you close the door while you're on the loo? <laughs> I remember my husband saying to me very, very early on, not very early on, probably about three or four years in, I was having a terrible OCD moment. He just said, could you just be a bit more stoic? <laughs> I've never forgotten that. <laughs> Bless him. So, I don't know, like, he, he would, I, like, 
I don't know, he, he's just like, he's heard it all, put it that way. So, um, and I, if he ever was, I'm not worried about him thinking I'm old or anything like that. He's lucky that he gets to go to bed with me at night <laughs> and these arms. <laughs> um, if he was here, he'd just be like, oh my God. Even <laughs> my daughter, they're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, I think I think that is. We are out of time, um, but there's a, there's just at the end of the book. There's a bit where you say, um, "For the first time in my life, I consider the possibility of liking all of me." And I think that the, you've got to read the book, but the bit at the ending with that kind of that view is really powerful because you realise how little we most of us do. You're all just look at you. You're all absolutely glorious divine human beings and thank you so much for coming tonight because I will float home and just I can't believe I'm so lucky to have I'm just so lucky thank you so much thank you very much Brian big thank you to Bryony. For me, the stuff about our bodies and accepting who we are is massive and just so far from the messages that I grew up with. So it's a work in progress, but something that affects so many women I know and really good to talk about it out in the open. Also a massive thank you again to Henley Literary Festival. Have a look at their events, henleyliteraryfestival.co.uk. They've got online events too, if you don't live near Henley and a great array of guests. And we have the brilliant Eve Rodsky coming up in our next episode. And it's all about relationships and trying to make it work in this rush hour. And those kind of conversations are always the most popular for us. So definitely have a listen to that one. If you subscribe to the podcast, you'll get a notification when it goes live, which might be useful because when I'm trying to find a better balance with work and life, I haven't pumped out as many episodes because we're going for quality over quantity. Um, But thank you so much for listening and I hope you're okay and have a really good week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.